It's time to stop dealing and start demanding. It's time to stop being PC and start being transparent and authentic. It's time to get real. Prepare yourself. It's time for Crazy and the King. I'm going to reveal something, you guys. Julie's going to be mad at me for this. So just before we hit record, she says another drink of water. I, see, let me tell you how we do it in Baltimore. I have a great glass of scotch, and I am relaxing. Like, whenever we record, not all the time, but water is not necessarily my go-to. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> you, I have to tell you, um, I just, we just hit the 30 day mark on my latest concoction of um, rhubarb gin, like we had in London last year. Mm-hmm. And oh, and I'll, I'll be tapping into that with a little uh, Pellegrino tonight. So I'll, yeah. I'll get there. That rhubarb gin was good. Ooh, that was really fire. good. Yeah, it was a great summer drink for real. And you can't get it in the States, so I have to make it myself. And yeah, it is absolutely. well worth the time. Well, you know what? Maybe one day we'll do like a uh, episode of like cookout food, summer drinks, and just kind of like really, really have fun. Take folks away from diversity in the normal sense. Some of these bad actors in the workplace and, and we'll go around the world uh, in terms of diversity. So so maybe we'll do that. You know, I like it. I like it. I'll, I'll it. bring the rhubarb gin. Oh, oh. So how's your week been? So the week has been crazy. Ah. Uh, you know, uh, j- just the frenetic pace of, you know, fielding calls, responding to emails. Uh, literally, Julie, I think uh, every single day for the last five, six weeks, no less than two, 250 emails. No less. Every day. Every yeah. day. So it's not going it's, away, right? Yeah, it's been crazy. And, and you know, again... Um, because of the way that I operate, you know, I'm always trying to make myself accessible. So you have, you know, people reaching out from the radio, you have people reaching out on the social media platforms. I try to be as personable as I can. And so sometimes it takes me a moment to respond. But if you hit, sit me a, a, a note with your connection request, I, I try to respond to that. So I got to tell you, man, the days have been long. The nights have been longer. It has been an incredible five weeks. No complaints, but it has been very, very busy. And I think, you know, we've said on the show how many times uh, we'll see if D&I goes away when when the the cash cow starts to kind of dry up in terms of all the growth that we've had over the last, you know, eight to 10 years. And I'm pleasantly surprised. You know, we're we're holding steady here at at Crazy and the King. Uh, The podcast is growing. Our business at at Disability Solutions is growing. And the requests for involved, meaningful diversity and inclusion has not lessened. It's it's almost as if the pace has picked up in the last six weeks. So for you all, demand generation, you know, I'm curious to get get us a peer into that window. Does your business development team uh, find themselves in a, a proactive posture of having to make as many cold calls as they had been making, convincing organizations that this is a conversation they need to have, or have they retreated a bit and been in a more reactive posture because now people are really returning their calls, reaching out to them? What, what's it look like for 
your organization? So as, as a small team, the lower volume days never come. Uh, we, we've really still got a long way to go in terms of disability and inclusion, and it's a big open ocean. So the volume of outgoing has not decreased, but what's been really awesome is the volume of incoming has increased. And we've seen that steadily over the last year. Um, you know, We added 30 plus brands in our last fiscal year, which just ended on June 30th. And that hasn't slowed down in the last quarter. And we actually had our best quarter of the year um, after the pandemic started. And I think it's because people have time, they have more thoughtfulness. And I'll just go and throw it out there. I think uh, the OFCCP just hit another hard round of uh, scheduling letters because we're getting a lot of calls from companies who are getting audited too. Yeah. Yeah. So you know what, Julie, I'm going to put this out public, um, you know, public statement. Uh, so write this down, WNLB, the, the, the letter W, the letter N, the letter L, the letter B is in boy, WNLB. Whoever leads your sales team, ask them if they've ever heard of that method. I know the answer is going to be no, because it's mine. And, and what I will say to you, <laughs> I already know the answer is no. Uh, but what I say to you is, if you ever want me to talk to the folks that do business development and give them the secret of, of how to handle objections and switch to a trial close, I'm happy to do that because your team deserves to win even more because it's an audience that is often too often overlooked. I appreciate that. And I'm going to take it, take you up on it because I just Googled it and I can't find it. So it's definitely yours and we're definitely going to need to know the answer. Um, So So now, you know, everyone out there listening is like, what the hell is WNLB? Hmm. You got to keep listening to find out. Maybe we'll talk about it. What we got this week. Um, for me, lots of good updates. I, like I said, I was telling you right before we started, I had the best hands down story of the week as I was scrolling through Twitter at about, you know, let's say midnight, 1am earlier this week. And I said, Oh yeah, that's the story. I'm going to email people. I'm going to bother them. I'm just really going to dig in here. And then I went to sleep and I can't remember what it is. And you don't remember anything about the story? Nothing? Like just that it enraged me and it was like it was just so perfect and like sort of everyone's gonna want to talk about this story and yeah i have no idea no idea all right so look you got so so you you have you you know when we played uh monopoly you like get out of jail free card um i forget the other one but but there were certainly some grace cards in the monopoly game we have created this week a crazy and the king grace card and so if you find that story, even though it may be dated, we will cover it next week. Cool? Okay, deal. Got it. All right. Whatever it is, it was good. Um, right. So, you know, in lieu of, of this most amazing story and my frustration, I thought let's jump into some some updates from stories that we've covered over the last couple of weeks and also over the last year or so and, and then talk about kind of what is coming up at the end of this month in terms of thinking about getting people back to work. And so if that's cool with you, can we just kind of chit chat through my half of the, the half an hour? And then I know you've got a really interesting story to bring us home. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. So first of all, um, these guys at Unwo- Unwoke HR, man, 
we got so much reaction out of this story and it was from last week if you haven't listened go listen to unwoke hr and tucker carlson so unwoke hr the job board for unwoke folks white men white women i don't know who you people are still um, hiding in the dressing room still yep, hiding in the dressing room still hiding in the dressing room reached out to them i half a dozen times and got some bullshit like oh, we're all about diversity of thought and you guys are so mean to us and, you know, kind of answer. And I said, fine, like, come on the show. We'll, we'll give you a fair conversation. Are you still going to hide behind your white curtain or are you actually going to talk about who you are? Yep. And so no reply to that, clearly. And I sent him another email this morning and said, hey, still waiting. We're, we're still here. Gonna Gonna keep hiding or what? And so I feel like I'm just going to taunt these guys until they either just blatantly have to attack me or they agree to come on the show. And I think what's really interesting is I, I think the day that we released the show, I'm not giving us credit, but maybe uh, they they got hacked um, and, and the site went down for several hours. They also um, were revealing all of the job seekers that were creating profile, their emails contact yeah. information was available in the code so so much for anonymity so much for anonymity can't hide at your own woke hr yeah. guys and, and let me ask you and just to be clear you were you seeing that code by going up to like page source or were you doing something different no i i literally did a right click and did inspect and right there you could see all of the page information you can see identifying data if it's not masked appropriately and so that caused them a, a lot of consternation, it seemed like, at the beginning of the week because they were getting called out for it. And I can't say that I, I figured that out all by myself. Some uh, really smart tech woman on uh, Twitter showed me how to do it. Tech woman. Uh, but yeah, woman. free. Press that. Woman oh, yes. figured it out. Woman. Yes. yes. So yeah. That means there's at least two women in the U.S. and abroad uh, pissed off with unwoke HR. Continue. Correct. Correct. So um, they got hacked. The site got taken down. They had some data issues. But conversely, right, we did see that their Twitter following grew rapidly. Uh, I'm actually taking a look right now. So they're up to 3,800 followers in a week. And so they're getting a lot of promotion from sort of right wing people um, on YouTube, uh, some that are even associated with Sherm, which I find incredibly interesting. Yeah, but you stop, know, stop, 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 stop. Yeah, why, yeah. why, why, why do you consider it interesting that people from Sherm are promoting the site? Because see here, let me tell you why I say that. Uh, and, and again, you know, I rarely talk politics, but it's the same conversation for me if we are talking politics if we are talking religion, we have people that just do not care for diversity, for inclusion. Let me be even more direct for black people, for Jews, for other you know, Muslims. And these people are Christians, good Christians. These people are good Democrats, you know, liberal. And you understand what I'm saying? So so why are you surprised that there's some ass wipes in Sherm that don't care about diversity. I don't know. I, I okay. apparently I just still live in the land where I think that most of us are like not shitty human beings. 
I keep getting proven wrong too many times, but to see a person who's been on a shrimp stage, who advises on human resources policies and is fairly high profile in our in our world um, yep. on YouTube on on right wing freaking like anonymous sites talking about how they think that unwokeness is awesome. It's shitty. So like, I guess I, I shouldn't say it's interesting. I should more direct in my words. I think yeah. it's a bunch of bullshit and y'all shouldn't be in the positions that you're in if you're going to promote um, lack of diversity within any organization or just in general on your Twitter accounts. I agree. I agree. <laughs> I agree 1000%. And you know, and I'm on a station that primarily services a black and brown audience. And, and I get frustrated even on my station when I hear hosts say, you know, that Republicans are racist and you never say, well, Democrats are racist or, 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 or Libertarians. Yeah. You know, I just, I try my best, you know, when I know that no one owns racism. And so when we have these conversations that tends to pin that, that ism, sexism, racism, nationalism. I, I mean, when, when we pin these, these isms and, 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 and pejoratives to people uh, wholesale and we leave out everyone else, I always feel like we're being neg negligent. No, and you're right, because I, I think we talked about this offline a few weeks ago, but I sort of, not sort of, I definitely lived in this little liberal bubble for eight years during Obama. And I thought, man, we're really doing great. And a few weeks ago, uh, Mark Lamont Hill called out basically me and said, y'all that think that we're doing okay, that are living sort of this democratic, democrat, big D dream that, that racism in America is going away, you are more dangerous than someone who's overtly racist because you don't take action you don't recognize yourself for what you need to do, and you create safe places for people to exist as as racists. It took me back. I definitely am out of my bubble now, so I'm, I'm not saying this is today me, but I never thought about it in sort of that like, hey, I'm wearing my mask, you know, to kind of hide who I am versus the people who put on their hoods and say exactly who they are. Well, then let's talk about change and somebody who picks up a big mic, Tucker Carlson. Oh, so yeah. he was on vacation. <laughs> uh, he was on vacation, you know, a, 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 a planned vacation, if you will. Listen, so so he's back in the news again this week. Uh, and this time, not because of his writer, uh, at least the story that I saw, he was back in the news because apparently he threatened to reveal uh, the identities and the addresses of uh, some New York Times reporters that are working on a story uh, regarding him. Did you see that? I did see that. And um, and the New York Times actually called him out on it straight away and said, "We, you knew before you ever published this commentary or that we were never, ever going to reveal any personally identifying information about you and your family or where you live. It, it's, it's Tucker Carlson Deflecting. gaslighting. Yeah. Right. Oh, I mean, oh, that's sorry. what the dude does. You're right. Gaslighting. Yep. But the vacation isn't because of that. The vacation is because some former Fox News employees filed a sexual harassment lawsuit against Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity, and Ed Henry. And Ed Henry is the White House correspondent for Fox News. And that 
particular accusation against Ed Henry, who was just fired a few weeks ago, is for forcible rape. Yeah, Tucker got told he's taking another vacation while the the people at Fox try to put out this fire. Uh, So I didn't see that. Yeah. Yeah, see, I didn't see that. I did not see that one. And you said forcible rape? Yes. So where does where does Tucker and the others named come in? Is this one incident or, or are these separate incidents? So if, it, if I'm recalling correctly, it's it's two former employees, um, multiple incidents against the three men, the most serious being the one of rape by one of the women against Ed Henry. Um. I guess that ties into the story that I'll be doing a little bit later. What else we got? We're always talking about Facebook and, and, and giving them a little bit of hell. And so I thought we might might as well continue on that trend this week. Um, they just came out with their newest Facebook diversity report. Did you see it? Nope. Didn't even read it. You know yeah. what? I, I, I'm, almost, I'm almost to the point where I don't even read them anymore. I don't read the diversity reports because I have a firm idea of what they are going to say. Uh, and so I, I run, I want to watch what you are doing. I want to watch what's happening on social media. I want to watch what's happening through banter, uh, whether it be news stories, interviews, commentary that's taking place across the digital landscape. I don't want to read your polished report around Whatever it is, I, I want to see what the ecosystem is saying about the respective organization. Well, let's just say that um, Facebook is still relying on their supplier diversity program as, as their main point of uh, diversity, especially for black and brown people, um, with only less than 2% of Facebook's technical employees being black and 3.5% of leadership. Being black and Hispanic employees are only slightly higher. So let me ask you a question. I'm going to ask you a question, and I want you to pretend like you are the black Torinellis. Okay. Just just work with me for a second. Okay. Putting on my Torin hat. If if you are a college student or you are a person, let's just say up to five years in your career, so from a recent graduate or, or current student, recent graduate, five years uh, tenure. Is there anything that would prevent you from wanting to take a job that pays over six figures? Because I, I got to believe that almost every person in, you know, let's say I, I, I would believe that at least 70% of Facebook's people employees are generating an income higher than six figures. So, so is there anything that would prevent Julie from taking a job over six figures? Yeah, I don't, I don't need to put on my torn hat for that. I'm, I'm going to take the six figure job. Got it. Okay. So then my question becomes when we think about all of the money that Facebook has invested and I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt, I want to read in the report, the truth. I want you to tell me as an organization, we have invested this number of dollars. We've spent this amount of time at HBCUs, 
at Hispanic servant institutions, at these number of community groups, at these number of uh, Native American and indigenous peoples uh, university. I want you to be very specific and I want you to say, this has been the result. We've trained or worked to train X number of people. And, and, and unfortunately, the percentage of them being up to, to, to snuff, up to speed, able to join the team is here or here or here. I am tired of reading the reports around the grandiose and the superfluous and the beautiful imagery. I want to know the detail because once we know the detail, then maybe people like you and I, maybe people that are set it up uh, organizations and programs and community groups, maybe we can get in, we can help if, if, if there is a lack of people collecting the information. And I don't believe that there is. I don't believe that people cannot be skilled up to join the Facebook team. I just feel like they are mismanaging or misappropriating the dollars that they are spending and they're not getting the type of return that they, they desire. So here, let me take that one one step further. And I could be wrong, but do you really need a liberal arts education to be a coder, to be a software engineer? No, you, you need the technical training. So yes, go pick up those, those finely pedigreed young men and women from Howard and the other HBCUs. But there's a pipeline of people who need reskilled, retrained, who that's what I'm saying. Just that's need what I'm the saying. opportunity. It, it like come the hell on. I, I don't care about how many professional developers there are in the pipeline right now. Go make your own goddamn pipeline. That's that that's all I'm saying. I'm I'm I just can't imagine like even me, I can't code worth a lick. I can't go on WordPress and do a cut and paste and get a damn website working. I just can't do it. It's not my thing. I don't yeah. I don't have the energy. I don't I don't want to be able to do it. It's just not my thing. But there are a number of people who are graduating with CS degrees and other that with a bit of nurturing, if they don't have what you need now with a bit of nurturing, uh, three months, six months, whatever it is, they should be hired. So I just find it, fascinating that these organizations are touting how much money they're spending and what they're doing. And then the end result always is 1%, yeah. 2%, 3%. And so then you have the other folks on the other side who will argue and say, well, it's not a money issue because they're investing money. You know, they're investing a hundred million dollars. Intel made the $300 million announcement a couple of years ago. And so I just always feel like we are doing ourselves a disservice when we are not honest about the conversation. And if that conversation is painful for a particular group of people, for geography, for a, a, a set of academic institutions, then that's what it has to be, because we will not get to where we are trying to get to by placating and telling a, a, a softer story. We've had enough of that. That's the reason why we are where we are right now around DNI. People are yeah. all often critical. You know, Torin, you you you're too direct. You you're aggressive. You 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 damn right. 
You damn right. I don't have time to be uh, patty cake, patty cake bakers, man, and 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 hopscotching and all that. Other. I don't have time to be playing none of that. Pick up jacks and marbles and all. No, we playing. We playing full contact football up in this joint. I'm coming yeah. through like Herschel Walker. Make a hole, or I'm gonna make a hole myself. And that that's the way that it's gotta be in order for us to get to where we want to be. I just think that we've played footsie with this conversation for far too long. I'm not reading any more diversity reports. Declaration, I ain't doing it. I ain't doing it. And I'm here for it. I mean, you, you were on the Universum uh, webinar this week, and you said, it like, we've been hiring mediocre white men for decades. So, yeah, I'm, I'm over it. And, 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 uh, never, and never asking an organization to justify why are we hiring mediocre white men. Yet you want the organization to justify, not hire, but justify why we are going to even plan to hire underrepresented individuals. I'm not playing that game. Dude, I I love this Torrin. Let's bring him back every damn week. Yeah, Um, I'm not playing that game. I'm not doing it. So last on my update list, and I, I think this will be quick, although it could be a whole conversation in and of itself, is... Next week is the last week of extended unemployment benefits for those who have been hit by the COVID crisis. So that extra $600 a week is going to, the last payment is on the 31st. And so things are going, we're going to see a big shift uh, next you week. What you call but, it? You call it the stay your ass home benefit ends? <laughs> yes. Yes. Stay your ass home. Keep us all safe benefit. Thank you. Uh, and, and that's a perfect way to put it. Keep us all safe. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. So, uh, right are certainly less jobs in the market and there's as a person who has and can see kind of the trends on our own job board at disability solutions we can see that there are, the number of job postings are coming down the traffic from job seekers is down because we haven't been able to go back to work it hasn't been safe and the government has provided provided people with the means to be able to stay at home and continue to collectively survive. And so when that ends, right, what's going to happen in terms of people getting back to looking for work, to taking a collective $9 billion with a B out of the economy every week, that's not going to just just impact, right, the people who are losing the dollars, which is going to impact the most, but it's going to grocers, auto lenders, all of those kind of pieces of sustainable life that people have been using these benefits on are going to go away. It could be a shit show if we don't get some sort of way to start managing this crisis. And a lot of them, Julie, are going to be looking for jobs from the front seat of their vehicle. Yeah. If they even have a vehicle, because a lot of them are going to lose their home. They're yep. going to lose their apartment. You know, this, this is going to have ramifications beyond, you know, just the professional side. It is going to have personal impact uh, yeah. impacting millions. And, and I mean, we're, we're also, I, and we're talking generational impact too, right? There are going to be kids that can't start school this year. They're going to be kids, not, not K through 12, but undergrad. They're going to be kids who can't go back to, to their undergrad this year to be able to, to continue their education because their parents and they can't af- collectively afford to pay for it. And 
student loans only get you so far, right? They're not going to cover the cost of even a public school education. You know, I've, I've heard a lot of, and really the the, the big reason I, I bring this story is one that as DNI professionals, we all need to be collectively aware of what's about to happen and we need to be talking about it and we need to be getting our asses in front of our leaders to press them to take action as a DNI component of who who we are as a company. But I'll also tell you that I am damn tired of hearing CEOs and, and the C-suite talk about how they can't hire people when they're getting this extra $600 a week. Do you know what that, that that's $15 an hour on a wait, regular 40 hour work week. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't understand that argument at all. Yeah. I'm sorry. You can't get somebody to come back to your 725 an hour job. Why don't you start making a little less money and passing some of that down? Because if not, and and government fails to intervene, which it appears that they are going to do, shit is going to get rough very yeah. quick, very soon for a lot of people. And we've got to raise that voice, right? This is our responsibility as a community to to make sure that these these individuals, these families, don't get lost in in the shuffle of everything that's going on. So again, going back to the DNI uh, mention that you had, not minimizing any of what you've said, but it's important for us to think from an inclusion standpoint, how next Friday, I believe that's the 31st or the 30th, how next Friday is going to have an impact on people's psyche, how they show up in the workplace, uh, how they are focused and engaged in their uh, you know nine to five, if you will. So we just have to be conscious of that. Again, I always say that because I know it becomes a bit of a gray line, a bit of gray space. You know, you don't want to 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 become psychologists, therapists. You don't want to feel like you're running a baby center, a, a crisis facility. But the bottom line is some individuals are really going to be in crisis and or their family members are going to be in crisis. And ultimately, that has an impact on your organization. You can't ignore that uh, and you shouldn't want to ignore that. That's what inclusion is all about. That's what presence and proximity are all about. You have to be connected to the humans inside of your workplace. There, we had a little more to talk about than I thought we might with with those. So, oh, it's all good. Um, it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> so, so what what I'll do is um I'll breeze through. We'll make sure we put the link in for mine. We won't spend a lot of time on it because you know we're conscious. But 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 the point is, we have a new. Uh, in another Me Too example, it turns out the family behind the the successful Ubisoft game company, Julie, is having a reckoning around a number of allegations involving sexual harassment. Uh, employees inside of Ubisoft have indicated that these claims, many of these claims, uh, have previously gone uh, unheard, if you will, unaddressed. You know, they've been coming to light over the years, but but they've gone unaddressed and gathering dust for far too long. Uh, for those of you who are not familiar, Ubisoft, that's U-B-I-S-O-F-T, uh, they are the fifth largest game company in the world. Oh, I'm sorry, fifth largest publicly traded game company uh, responsible for games like Assassin's Creed, Far Cry, Just Dance, and and a whole bunch of others. I don't know anything about any of them. Uh, like, do you play video games? I play that's a hard Mario note. Kart sometimes. <laughs> oh, oh, you do, oh, Mario Kart. Okay, I'm sorry. Mario Kart. That's it. That's all I got. So, so like, what game system is that on? Um, Wii. So, Wii. like Nintendo. Yeah. Damn, they still got a Wii out. I didn't even yeah. know they were still making them joints. Oh yeah, they got like several versions. Yeah, so it's a thing. But okay. Tristan, no, Tristan I, kicks my ass every time. 
No, no, trust me. I listen. I, I'm believing you. Um, and and it's so funny. I'm saying this honestly. We have a game room in the house, and you know, uh, my youngest son plays all the time. He, I, I know, we have three systems hooked up to those TVs in that room. Uh, I couldn't tell you where the on button is for any of them. I don't play video games. Uh, so. Uh, point being, Ubisoft is in the news, and the real reason why I'm sharing this story is because even though the CEO, uh, Yves, Y-V-E-S, Guillermo, uh, has made a statement, he's ousted a few leaders, uh, it's still an issue. This is a family-owned business, and sometimes it's hard to penetrate smaller organizations where the leadership is held close and, and 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 contentious issues such as this get swept up under the rug. When I see saw this story, the first thing that I thought about Julie was the Epstein episode, uh, and 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 in thinking about how uh, Epstein was supported by the woman, how the woman and a team of other people were bringing him, um, you know, underage girls. I think about the story and the ramifications of women wanting to be in the gaming industry, women that have been abused, assaulted, dejected. It's just, we have to do better. We, we got to do a far better job. We, we can't, you know, like I've done some stupid things in my life. Like I, I, I remember when, when I was in corporate America and, and having access to a, a, an American express card. Listen, I was young. That doesn't excuse it. Cause I wasn't that young. I was still an adult, but I was irresponsible. I went and bought, tires for one of my vehicles because I wanted these big tires and rims. You know, I wanted my joint to be flossed out and I was waiting on a commission check and I knew I was going to pay for it. But, but I used my corporate American Express to purchase rims for a vehicle. These jokers are going to have meetings at strip clubs and, and all of that other nonsense. Like, like, I know mine was stupid and irresponsible, but it only hurt me, Julie. I never put women or other people in harm's way. D- does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, you had a nice looking ride. You made a mistake. I'm sure you paid for that mistake, right? I mean, you had some accountability. I sure did. I sure and, did. Right? And that's how we learn and that's how we grow. And no one has has kept, and I think Epstein is a really good kind of parallel, is no one in power put a check on these guys. No one said to them, this is not appropriate behavior. This is not a way that a a, a man should function, B, a company should function. And and it's that unchecked power, I think, by so many men in these companies, networks, places of, of dark, shady deal-making um, that enable the victimization of women in such a way that we don't ever really fully account for. And I don't think that we take, as at least as a country, as seriously as we should. Yeah, no. And it's not as if Julie and I take pleasure. You know, we don't highlight these stories because we're like taking pleasure in the demise of organizations or individuals. That's not what it is. What it is for me is when we have organizations, you know, uh, forget organizations, when we have people in role and you know your role is to take care of other people, those are the ones that I want to be put on blast. I'm sharing this story because I hear of the leadership not doing anything, but I don't see anywhere in the stories that I've read a person who is a CHRO or the person in HR. 
Like, I don't see that individual's name being dropped through the article and saying, you know, they didn't do enough, if you will. Or, or I don't see them standing up. You know, when we think about police and the issues between, you know, communities and black people and police and, and others, there's not enough good police speaking out. And so yeah. when I hear all of these stories, most of them, and I certainly don't want to be uh, fully blanketed, but most of these stories around Me Too and Time's Up, Julie, we rarely hear from the person or persons in HR to say, listen, I raised the issue. They ignored it. And I'm making sure my conscience is clean. I don't want the world to know because check it. You can look on LinkedIn and see so-and-so was in HR at that organization during this particular time. Unless, of course, they go and scrub it. But my point is they, they rarely ever step forward to clear their conscience and to let us know that they were the vanguard of humanity, that they took care of the people inside of their organization, that they were responsible with the responsibility that they had, that they ran those issues up the flag chain as much as they possibly could, took notes, documented everything. And if that didn't work, they went out and sought legal advice, maybe even contacted the EEOC uh, uh, themselves. That's not the story that I've heard. That's the story that I want to hear. That That's what I want to hear. Matter of fact, I may even put a tweet out. I want HR people that have really been good stewards of the position to come together and say, we tried. And here's what it's going to take to break this bro culture inside of these organizations. This is what it's going to take. That's the kind of reading that I want to do. I'm not thinking about these raggedy, uh, mediocre diversity reports. I want to hear some truth. I want to read some truth. I want to know that folks are fighting for progress from all angles, all levels, uh, all across this country. That's what I want. So I 100% agree. And I was getting ready to chime in on 100% agree. And then I realized that there is still another lever of power that prevents individuals in whistleblower positions or in HR positions or former employee positions from doing that. And that's the overuse of a non-disclosure agreement that subjects people who need a job, who need to feed their families, who need to get to work, who want to do the right thing and come forward, but are controlled by the rich and powerful men in this country and others. Because if they have that conversation as justified as it is, as necessary as it is, they lose their livelihoods. They lose their savings. They have to spend money on, on lawyers and all those things only to lose because the non-disclosure agreement is so easy to bind people. And this is an example of what it takes for us to look at tearing down processes and frameworks uh, and patriarchy that is built into systems, uh, racism and sexism that may be built into uh, industries and into systems. We have to look at all of that. You're absolutely right. And so we should be sitting in rooms and saying as a board of directors that if, in fact, we're going to put an NDA uh, language in place, that we have NDA language that's in place that's a bit more responsible and a bit more equitable, uh, that it covers both sides. I just think that we should start demanding something different. That's what it's going to require. We we got to demand something different for real. Yep. Yep. Whew. That was good. I'm glad we covered that story because it really went a lot um a lot deeper in your thought process than than where my brain was when we we first 
we first discussed it. So wrapping up, um, another great week. First uh, or second full week on the Evergreen Network. Uh, excited to be part of those guys. We will be bringing on our first sponsor um, on August on our first August show. Excuse me. We're wrapping up the details and we'll be excited to announce that very quickly. And then name drops. Do you have any name drops this week, Tor? Yeah, I just want to give it to Jason's side. And I believe Jason is in the Chicago area. Uh, forgive me if I'm wrong. Uh, but Jason Sidon, you can find him on Twitter at Sidon. That's S E I D S and David E N S E I D E N. Uh, I'm dropping his name because he was on uh, the Talent Net event that I did uh, last week, uh, and, and in such, I gave one of the, the 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 tentacles of belief, if you will. And what I said was, you know, organizations, if you want me to believe that you care about Black lives, you care about this social uh, injustice period that we are in that you will put some of your money in a black bank. And Jason Sidon sent me a, a note behind the scenes and said, Torn, I'm not a corporation, but I'm going to put money in a black bank. That individual act, that individual movement is important. And it said a lot to me. And so, Jason, I wanted to shout you out this week. Awesome. So I, I just followed him and uh, hope you all will too. Um, two quick name drops for me. One to, to Joanne Reed of M MSNBC, who became the first black female primetime cable host um, this week with the readout and uh, kicked some ass and took some names with her ratings as well. So congratulations to Joy, who I've enjoyed watching for many years on MSNBC. Absolutely. Um, huge accomplishment and well-deserved. And um, second, just to everyone who has been listening over the last few weeks to the Michael Hickson story, I really, I've heard so many people have reached out and said, hey, how do we support her? Where's the GoFundMe? All those kind of things. And I reposted that on our Facebook this week. And when I was looking kind of through the, the most recent donations, I saw a lot of very familiar names. You know who you are. Thank you so much for thinking about Mrs. Hickson and, and her family as they move forward. We, we really appreciate you. Absolutely. And I close reminding each and every one of you to share the pod with your digital tribe, to make sure you find your voice in the workplace. Like it don't take a whole lot to be a better human. Julie and I want you to have an awesome rest of the week. You can find Julie on Twitter at Julie. So wash that's J U L I E. S as in Sam O W A S H. You can find me at Torin Ellis. You can also catch me on Sirius XM channel 126, 1 p.m. on Sunday. I'm actually going to be talking to an Olympic athlete this week. Going to have an interesting conversation from her perspective around inclusion. For now, I'm going to tip on this, this scotch that I have and say that the kid is ghost. See ya. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transformed, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, 
thought leaders and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.